It was an audacious foreign plot to influence an American presidential election and gain access to the White House. Electronic intercepts picked up details of the plot, alarming FBI agents, and prompting the Justice Department to open up a classified counterintelligence investigation. No, we're not talking about the Russian operation to interfere in the 2016 election. We're talking about another foreign intelligence operation more than 20 years ago by the People's Republic of China. On February 13, 1997, the Washington Post's Bob Woodward broke the story. Chinese embassy role in contributions probed, read the headline. Sensitive intelligence information, Woodward and co-author Brian Duffy reported, shows that the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. was used for planning contributions to the Democratic National Committee as part of an extensive effort to influence Bill Clinton's White House in its policies towards China. Although the details at that point were sketchy, the Post story identified a number of characters, including a Little Rock restaurateur named Charlie Tree and a Democratic Party fundraiser named John Wong, who would soon become top targets of Justice Department and congressional investigations. As we await the release of Robert Mueller's report into Russia's meddling during the 2016 election, and we learn new details about some odd Chinese characters who managed to gain access to President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, we'll look back for some historical context at the Chinese fundraising scandal of the 1990s on this episode of Buried Treasure. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So I love going back to the Chinese fundraising scandal of the 90s. It has so many parallels to events these days, but also because it's hard to beat the rich characters. You and I and our guest uh, today, uh, Mark Hosenball, were writing about back then for Newsweek, uh, giving us lots of wonderful material. You know, the movie version of this is always like James Bond and all these uh, dashing characters or evil but very effective uh, spies. And in reality, it usually turns out to be these kind of like the game that can't shoot straight. And, you know, on, on the one hand, as we've been covering this uh, Russia story, a lot of people in the te- intelligence community have been saying, yeah, what the Russians did was very serious and, you know, they potentially overturned an American election. But the real threat are the Chinese, who have been spying on the United States for decades and decades. Uh, They've thrown massive resources at uh, these espionage efforts, economic espionage, political espionage, military espionage, and that's where people really ought to be focused. 
And what, what one thing I will say, and then we'll move on to the story and get Hosenball on so we can talk about some of those crazy characters, is the Chinese have this kind of, I think they call it the thousand grains of sand approach, which is they just throw a massive number of assets at a target, a thousand Chinese agents of influence to pick up individual grains of sand. But they tend to be, they're often just kind of rank amateurs. And I think we saw that back in 1996. Maybe we're seeing it over again this time around. Well, let's bring in Mark, our old friend and colleague, uh, who has been reporting on the more recent Chinese efforts to uh, penetrate Mar-a-Lago, and of course was uh, there at the head of the pack reporting on the Chinese efforts in the 1990s. Mark, welcome back to Skullduggery and today's episode of Buried Treasure. Thank you very much. All right. I want to talk about the events we're learning about the strange Chinese woman who uh, went to Mar-a-Lago with uh, cell phones and thumb drives infected with malware. And we'll get into the details of that in a moment. But how much of what we've learned in recent days reminds you of what we were all reporting about 20 years ago? Well, I think it all totally reminds me of what we were reporting on 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there was a pretty clear Chinese campaign to, I don't know, infiltrate maybe is too strong a word, but to influence and to at least get some hooks into the Clinton campaign and the Clinton organization and ultimately the Clinton White House. That's certainly what it looks like has been going on with at least the Trump resort down there in in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. And, of course, Trump's policies on China have been, I guess, like most of his other policies, a little bit erratic up and down. And, you know, one day he's uh, praising the Chinese, the next day he's attacking them. One of his uh, former big pal, Steve Bannon, White House advisor, has teamed up along with a bunch of other very conservative people with a fugitive Chinese uh, billionaire who's wanted by the Chinese for various frauds to basically bring down, threaten the government of China. Other Trump friends, though, think that that Chinese billionaire ought to be arrested. So, I mean, you know, it's it's just bizarre. Right. I want to just start out by talking about those oddball characters we were writing about in the fundraising scandals of the 90s. So I'm going to throw out a few names and tell us who they were and what they were doing back then. Charlie Tree is one of my favorites. Well, I think Charlie Tree was, as I recall, some sort of Arkansas restaurateur. Little Rock restaurant, yes. Who was a friend of the Clintons, who liked the Clintons. Mm -hmm. I guess they liked him. He had some access to them. They probably Mm -hmm. ate at his restaurant. Mm -hmm. And he brought in some other Chinese friends who who seemed to have some money. And they went around raising money from people connected to China, only it turned out that some of them were like really connected to China. Uh, Hey, uh, speaking, bringing it forward to today, do you guys remember what the first bunch of money was actually for? What Ya Lin, by the way, it's Ya Lin Charlie Tree. It was $450,000. And it was an attempted donation to the Clinton Legal Defense Fund for his impeachment trial. Yeah. And it was Chinese money laundered through a guy, or the the source of a big chunk of that was this guy, uh, Nip Lung Sang. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. You pronounced that wrong. Ung Lap Sang. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I I defer here. Who is a Macau-based, or was a Macau-based millionaire, billionaire, you want to call him, who is now, do you know where he is now? In federal prison, I believe. (laughs) Yes. He got caught by the Justice Department 
and extradited, I believe, from Hong Kong or China. I was mm. actually in court with him in, in Manhattan a few months ago. Oh, really? And, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's, Did he's, you wave and did, remember me? Uh, no, <laughs> but he had very fancy lawyers. His lawyers were <laughs> yeah. the mafia lawyers. Yeah. And he's now in jail, but it took them many, many years to get him. And he was in and out, as I recall, there was some testimony that he was in and out of the country regularly over a number of years until they finally grabbed him. And I think he had a relationship on and off with, with the FBI as well yeah. over the years. He was, but he, we should point out yeah. that he was convicted of bribing a United Nations official as part of some plan to get approval for some Macau casino deal, I believe. Right. And the United right. Nations right. official who then mysteriously, I believe, fell out of a window or something to his death. All right, let's move on. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Chung. Johnny, Johnny Chung. Chung. Right. Yes. Johnny Chung, as I recall, was the some guy from Los Angeles who was a friend of Charlie Tree, who, who, who I think really made the initial inroads in the Chinese community, particularly in Los Angeles, to uh, raise money for the Clintons. And the money that he got was they ultimately did trace to Chinese military intelligence, right. if I'm not mistaken. I, 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 yeah, I don't yeah, recall yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, another but by one. the way, these guys were also like, there were total charlatans who were you know, also trying to, you know, further their own business interests, as I recall, because I think like Johnny Chung, like went to the White House 78 times or something. And the whole thing was getting pictures with the president or President Clinton or getting a picture with Hillary Clinton that then they would use to drum up business and show what kind of access they had, you know, wherever they were trying to do business. Right. But it was also part of this was that was one of the things that the Clintons were literally selling. So they were, in effect, selling pictures of themselves to high stakes, I mean, high dollar donors. So, you know, it just wasn't it, it wasn't a one way transaction. It was a two way transaction. One of your all time favorites, Ted Chung. Tell us who he was. One of the single largest donors to the. I can't, I can't remember if it was the Clinton campaign or or, or the DNC, Clinton Defense Fund. Yeah. I think it was the DNC, actually, right. Democratic National Committee, was a very, very mysterious businessman who owned a bunch of like third-rate hotels and strange properties around Los Angeles named Ted Shung, but he do donated a lot of money through his daughter, who's a woman named Jessica Elna Diarda. And yeah. we started investigating this fairly deeply, and we were amongst the first to write about it. And then Bob Woodward, in that story I think you quoted, mm -hmm. talked about how the FBI were investigating somebody who was believed to be an, a secret agent, a money launderer for the Chinese government, for Chinese intelligence. And we found out that that was, in fact, Ted Chung, the guy we had been writing well, about. Well, yeah, because they yeah. picked up intercepts that picked up conversations between the Chinese consulate in Los Angeles, or Los Angeles, as you say, and uh, Ted Chung. And those conversations revealed that Chung had a what I think they call the 10-point plan which is that they were going to start investing early in politicians, young American politicians, Chinese American politicians, who they thought would be, you know, were comers and who might one day run for the Senate, even run for president. So they kind of took the long view. And he, as I recall, Hosenball, you'll remember this, I think he was really the strongest link 
to Chinese intelligence and this uh, this kind of political influence plan coming from Chinese military intelligence, as I recall. Oh, he was a direct link to the Chinese government. He had, uh, I think, even some of the money. I think we traced some of the money coming directly from the Chinese consulate in Los Angeles. And he even owned a, he owned a newspaper that became very, very pro-Beijing in the eastern part of uh, a suburb of Los Angeles, the eastern part of Los Angeles. He owned a cigarette company, Red Pagoda Mountain Cigarettes in China, <laughs> although he was like partly Indonesian as well. But at some point, it was dis- and Congress started investigating this because there was a big investigation in the Senate led by the Republicans into the Chinese money. But then it was discovered that $50,000 of Ted Chiang's money also went to Newt Gingrich. Newt so, Gingrich solicited yeah. a, a <laughs> contribution from Ted Chiang for like some, I don't know, some ca- some foundation he there, had? There was a picture, was it? in fact, of Newt Gingrich yeah. with Ted Chiang and his daughters. So then the investigation, I mean, there was reports written about this in Congress, which actually cited our reporting, but they never held a public hearing on it for some reason. And then, you know, there is the guy who really was one of the, cent- may have been the central figure in all this. John Wong, who was a Democratic Party Party fundraiser, a former executive of the Lippo Group, and then got a job at the Commerce Department in which he was able to advance Chinese government interests. As I recall, he actually used his position in the Commerce Department to provide access to Chinese linked donors to the Democratic Party for, you know, trade issues. So, so this really, I mean, this really is, if you kind of transposed that set of facts with like what was happening in, you know, Russia and the Trump administration, and if a, a Russian, say a Russian businessman with ties to the Kremlin was given a top job at the Commerce Department overseeing uh, you know, trade uh, between the United States and Russia, that would be a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, can I uh, take a little uh, personal privilege here? Because I want to read from something I wrote in the uh, paperback edition of Uncovering Clinton, uh, my book on the whole Clinton scandals. And because some of the most damning stuff didn't come out until well after this scandal had played out and well towards the end of Clinton's presidency. And it really went back to how Clinton got elected in the first place, because it was only in 1999 that the uh, congressional committees got access to John Wong's FBI 302s. He pled guilty and he laid out how the origins of this actually went back to the 1992 election where Clinton first won. And I'm just going to read some of the details that emerged from those FBI 302s. In August 1992, during a campaign trip to California, Clinton had taken a limousine ride with Wong's employer, James Riotti, the billionaire chief of the Lippo Group, a banking and trading conglomerate based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Clinton had known Riotti for years. In the early 1980s, Lippo had invested heavily in an Arkansas bank, and the Indonesia businessman had for a while made Little Rock his home. Now, during their car ride reunion, Riotti offered to pump $1 million 
into Clinton's presidential campaign. An internal memo prepared for Clinton that day states Riyadi had flown all the way from Indonesia and wanted to talk to Clinton about banking issues and international business. Over the next several weeks, Riyadi made good on his pledge. Massive wire transfers began, as ultimately documented by federal investigators, hundreds of thousands of dollars from Lippo's bank accounts in Asia flowed to Lippo employees and Lippo-owned corporations in the United States. These employees then, in turn, wrote contribution checks recommended by Clinton's campaign operatives in Little Rock. The contributions were, in most cases, doubly illegal. Not only did they come from a foreign source, but they were also funneled through conduits to disguise the true identity of the giver. And at the end of the day, by the time Election Day came around, Riyadi's Lippo Group, a foreign corporation whose existence was virtually unknown in official Washington, much less to the American public, had become the largest single financier of Clinton's campaign against President George Bush. And Lippo at that time was deeply enmeshed in business dealings with the Chinese government, an entity called China Resource Holdings, an arm of the Chinese Ministry of Trade, had already bought up a stake in Lippo's Hong Kong bank. So imagine for a moment... If in the closing days of the 1992 election, it turned out that Clinton's largest donor had been a Indonesian billionaire linked to the Chinese government and the money was flowing illegally, untraced, unnoticed by the Federal Election Commission. I think it would have been a pretty huge scandal. And in fact, Clinton's big problem was Monica Lewinsky, which is... By contrast, you know, <laughs> it does not rise to the right. level yeah. of of the magnitude okay. of this scandal. Well, it just goes to show you that, like, if you put campaign finance violations versus sex, <laughs> everyone's going to well. With Trump, we have a little sex. of both, right. don't we? we? Have a little I mean, of both. Can, yeah, uh, but, uh, one, but also, let's just talk about one last character uh, yeah. before we move on to the present day, and that is just very briefly Maria Shaw and the Shilai Buddhist Temple in California. Hosenball, tell us about the uh, the Buddhist Temple. Well, there was this famous Buddhist Temple in suburban Los Angeles, in East Los Angeles, in the same mm. neighborhood where, in fact, roughly the Ted Shung's newspaper circulated. And uh, she held various meetings, and there was a famous fundraiser there attended by, I believe, somebody named Al Gore, the vice president of the United oh, States. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Um, yeah. And there was a whole bunch of money given, and I think a whole bunch of the money turned out to be fishy. And there was a famous picture, I believe, of, of Al Gore sitting at the same table next to an Asian man with large bushy, sideburns who was named Ted Chung. <laughs> yeah, and I think some of that money was actually was like like funneled through like I don't know the the Buddhist nuns there. All I remember remember this detail that like twelve Buddhist nuns from this temple were subpoenaed to testify before Congress, and they all took the fifth right. Fifth Amendment. So let's uh, bring this around to events of current day, which you, Mark, have been uh, aggressively following, and uh, this woman. Yujing Zhang, uh, or do I Yujin Zhang is how I Yujin pronounce it. Zhang, 32 years old, arrested on March 30 at uh, Mar-a-Lago after she enters the complex with four cell phones, a hard drive, a thumb drive infected with 
malware. What was she up to? We don't know yet. Um, she told multiple stories on her way in. I can't remember what her first story was. But she said she was going yeah. swimming. <laughs> she was, swimming, was going to right. the swimming pool. And, and then, she, then when she actually got inside and she actually managed to get her way past the initial Secret Service checkpoint, she, she then they drove her in a golf cart further into the resort uh, where she was interviewed further by the resort staff. And she changed her story then and said she was going to some Chinese-American event, which turned out somewhat suspiciously not to exist. There had previously been some sort of Chinese-American event, I guess a year earlier, but not that day that she turned up. So the authorities, the the, so the staff at Mar-a-Lago became suspicious, and they called in the Secret Service, and the Secret Service started to interrogate her. And on the one hand, for one minute, she seemed very articulate in English. The next minute, she seemed not so articulate in English. They got her passports, uh, which showed that she had visited the United States several times over the last uh, three or four years. And uh, they concluded that she Whatever she was there for, she wasn't being truthful about it. So they arrested her and they brought her to court yesterday. And there's still a lot we don't know about this. In but, fact, well, you, and they found some interesting uh, technology in her hotel room, right? They, they found, found some strange technology in her t hotel room. Although, again, how sophisticated this stuff is, we don't know. What it appears at the very least is, I mean, well, there's no question, and I reported this myself yesterday and I think earlier, there's no question there's a counterintelligence investigation by the FBI and other agencies into who this woman is and what she was up to. And whether she had any links to Chinese intelligence Correct. or political influence operations. Correct. Uh, well, you let me, have let quoted me, U.S. government yeah, sources right. telling you. I right. just Let me just make a couple of points. One is, this, based on what we know, the distinction between this and the 1996 campaign finance scandal that involved Chinese agents is that at least what we know now doesn't appear to be an influence operation. It sounds more like traditional espionage going in with malware, but we don't know that yet. But we the don't other know thing, that. And also at this point, it appears to be on a smaller scale, but we don't know that either. This right, could be the tip but, of the iceberg. The or other could be thing nothing. that I think is just that I just think is fishy is that she left Shanghai on March 28th, and she arrives at Mar-a-Lago on March 30th. So this was her mission. <laughs> she was going from Shanghai pretty much directly to Mar-a-Lago. Now, that doesn't mean it was directed by the Chinese government or Chinese intelligence, but it's just it just seems like she did leave China with that plan in mind. And then on top of it, she had you know, $8,000 of cash in her hotel room. She had this some kind of technology that allows you to detect cameras. So it is it's pretty weird. Oh, it's highly suspicious. But I mean, we, again, it's it's all under very, very active investigation. And I was just speaking to people in the government about this this morning, and they said, we're really investigating aggressively, but we don't know what it adds up to yet. Yeah, well, uh, there are a couple of priceless details, though, that, that just emerged. One is that the Secret Service agent who initially questioned her thinking that he was capturing it all on video and audio. Yeah. The audio doesn't work. work. Yeah, so right, he right. so he has the video of her of his questioning session and uh, but not not a word can be heard, which does raise some questions about the competence <laughs> yeah, the of secret, the secret yeah, service. Yeah, maybe the secret whose, service whose uh, chief agents was are, just fired by uh, the yeah. way. I don't know that there's any connection, but it sounds like the secret still, service agents are as bumbling as the as yeah. the as the would-be Chinese spies. <laughs> right. You know, bring <laughs> in the clowns on all levels, I guess. But the other part is that they take 
take the thumb drive infected with malware, they put it into a laptop, they watch the malware start spreading through the laptop, and they shut the thing down because they think <laughs> it's going to permanently infect the that government computer. laptop, uh, which strikes me as another sort of right. Uh, she's sitting there. Uh, she's sitting there in detention, and she's thinking, "Mission accomplished." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But look, there seems to be possibly some connection between her and this other oddball character, Cindy Yang, who was at Mar-a-Lago and was and does seem to have been selling access to the president's uh, southern complex. Well, and as I understand it, one of the initial stories that she told was that she was actually coming to Mar-a-Lago to attend a, a party or, or a festivity of some kind, which Cindy Yang... Uh, was staging, but unfortunately, you know, and Cindy Yang had staged a party to that effect a year earlier, but she hadn't staged one this year. But I mean, is there something that directly connects her? Or it's not just... clear. It's not clear at this point. She, yeah. I mean, she apparently did u- u- somehow use the name or or I- invoke the name of Cindy Yang, but. It's not clear whether she actually really knew Cindy Yang or not. Now, we should also point out that Cindy Yang had previously owned the massage parlor that Robert Kraft, the the owner of the, uh, it's the New England Patriots. It's been that way for many, many decades now. You're a little behind the times on that. But in any case, (laughs) um, is there a connection between the massage parlors and the possible Chinese espionage operation? Well, certainly using massage parlors might be a good way to get um, yeah. uh, compromising information on people, but we don't really know that at this point. Yeah, well, it's it, all, it is all under investigation for sure. Right, right. It does. I do find it odd that um, Robert Kraft keeps popping up in these episodes. You may remember uh, from a number of years ago, Kraft had actually been in Moscow, was showing off his Super Bowl ring to uh, one Vladimir Putin, who takes the ring and doesn't give it back. And apparently, uh, Kraft never managed to um, uh, recover his well, maybe stolen Kraft, uh, maybe, Super Bowl ring from well, Vladimir maybe Putin. Kraft, maybe Kraft was working for American intelligence and put a bug in that ring. <laughs> well, there's a theory I have not heard before, <laughs> but you heard it first here on, uh, on Buried Treasure. So I guess the bottom line takeaway is that we had that the Chinese are consistently involved in espionage operations against the United States, which probably isn't that big a surprise, since I think there's plenty of reason to think the U.S. does what it can to collect as much uh, intelligence about uh, Chinese affairs as well. But they do seem to to find various creative ways to go about it. I think that's exactly right. And again, you know, who knows what kind of even stranger characters we're going to see turn up in this as it goes forward, especially given that the sort of characters that the President of the United States hangs out with routinely anyway. Absolutely. And I think that's probably uh, the right note to end this uh, episode on. Thanks to Mark Hosenball for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you soon. 